All right. Um, here's our intro. And I say R because I'm speaking of all the personalities of me involved in this intro. Um, because I'm not sure why Mark didn't show up. We both said, yeah, um, this time will work. Things happen in life, though. And um, this episode that we have with Maricon, who is an amazing amazing personality. It was really wonderful. And I think um, if we were to create a theme for this episode, um, the theme would be things happen and our attitude towards those things, the choices we make about how we're going to bounce back from those donkey kicks to the head um, are the things that create the quality of our life. Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm crying right now. I'm crying inside, inside, weeping big elephant tears of joy. And where the hell is Mark? Anyway, you know what? Who cares? Let's get into this episode. Here's our episode. I think it's 122 with Merit Khan. I think you'll like this. All right. Two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America. You can't drink enough coffee for this show. And now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark. Live with another episode of Moped Outlaws, and we have special guest Merritt Khan. Yeah, special guest. <laughs> and she's asking us, "Are we open to?" And Merritt, we absolutely are. Knocking on your door right now. <laughs> well, yes, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, and let's just start by saying, click all the links, subscribe, comment in the YouTube, but most of all. Be sure and go down and pick up the link for her show October 5th through the 8th at the Den Theater in Chicago. If you're anywhere near there, get there, get tickets, get to the show and find out just how much fun you can have on a night out. They don't call the Den for nothing. Is this your one woman show you've put together? This is. It's called Who Chiseled That? It's the story of a life unscripted, unstoppable and unexpectedly funny. (laughs) All right. Yeah, like this um, show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's hope it is. You know, we're definitely unscripted. And, all right. So I, from looking briefly at your stuff, it seems like your marriage was a big challenge in your life. <laughs> we're going right there, huh? We're starting yeah. with that. Yeah, we don't we don't like softball. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, there's three rules here. You can lie, tell the truth, or decide not to answer. Yeah, tell us to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to some of your episodes. I, I know how you roll. All right, All right let's go. Cool. Bring cool. it to me. Bring it. Let's All go. Right, so you've been doing stand-up about 10 years. Yep. Um, was the heat that you were experiencing in your marriage part of what kind of brought you to the outlet of stand-up? 
Uh, I wish it was that deliberate. Um, I, uh, in my, my business really for the last 20 plus years has been keynote speaking, sales training, leadership training, coaching, consulting. And I really wanted to learn how to be more deliberately funny for the keynote programs I was doing for large audiences and big conferences. And so I took a stand up comedy class. At that time, my marriage had been very difficult for a very long time. And the comedian coach that I was working with, her brand of comedy was personal comedy. So it wasn't like Seinfeld observations, like what's the deal with pulling out of your driveway? It was more about like what's going on in your life, write about that, and then find the funny in those personal moments. And I, I was always, I've always been a writer. And so I would write in my journal and all of the things that were frustrating, difficult and challenging for me in my life at that time had to do with my marriage. And, uh, so through writing, I was in, and studying comedy, I was able to look at some of the things that were frustrating to me and find the humorous aspects of that. And sometimes the, the funniest thing was just the fact that I had so much evidence that it was, he was never going to be different. And I still was this, brought this optimism to it. And, and eventually I kind of looked at that and that was the funny part. Like, wow, I must have optimistic personality disorder or something. Like, <laughs> why do I think he's going to be different someday? OPD. And that, you know, so I found the funny in painful moments and it really was the best therapy I've ever had. <laughs> do you think that? Funny hastened his departure. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Uh, well, this is not funny, but this is true. So when, <laughs> when I would do a comedy show and I would I would joke about him, my literally my first joke in my comedy set back in 2014 was, "My husband is great, and he thinks so too." Yeah, he was in the audience, yep. and he thought that was fantastic. And he said to me at the end of the show, "Thank God you have me." I make you funny. God. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Um, yeah. So that's just a little snapshot. <laughs> wow. I think a lot of women go to the point where they think they can fix the guy that there's this like prevalence of wimp for women that, that maybe I can get him to shift. Do you think that's common? I think that's probably common. I don't know if that's unique to women. I mean, we, we, women may be, I haven't studied the genders. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, if, if you want somebody different, it's a lot easier to start with someone else than to try to change the one you've got. Like that just, it's just not a good plan. Um, and I don't think men trying to fix women or women trying to fix men or same sexes trying to fix each other. Like, I don't, I don't think it's a yeah. good idea. Um, Fixing each other in relationship is not funny. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm at this stage of my life, um, and I've been seeing, uh, you know, divorced now for almost seven years. And I just feel like, um, I think a partner, I think I would be the kind of partner who would, want to lift somebody up. I don't want to change them, especially at my stage of the, the game. I, I want to celebrate somebody who had successes in their life and I want to honor that. And I want them to do that for me too. I don't want to change something or fix something. It's a lot of energy and 
there's other, I'm trying to, I'm still trying to fix things in my own life. I don't need to fix you too. Well, that's the thing. I think like, I don't want to be fixed. I want to be supported on my journey to getting better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Who wants to be around somebody who's trying to change them all the time? I think what was interesting and, and maybe this is, you know, for me personally, this was my dynamic. Like my ex was a, was a diagnosed narcissist, like, like it wasn't like one of those things where people say it's fashionable, right? It's not a fashionable term. It's not like he was just selfish. He had a diagnosis. And in that scenario, there's, there's reality that most normal people live in. And then there's the reality that the narcissist creates for themselves. And he really, truly, I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he just truly believes the narrative that he manifest like he created out of nothing and he believes that to be true and so it's just this alternate universe he lives in and um i kind of fell in love with the charming aspect and i thought that's who he really was but a narcissist that is one of the things that they do they're kind of charming they kind of suck you in they love bomb you there's lots of terms and then and then they kind of switch and it becomes like this, this alternate reality become is really the truth. And so somebody in a relationship with them is trying, it's not like I was trying to fix him. I kept trying to get back to that charming guy because I thought that was the real one. But the truth is that was the mask that he wore that, that pulled me in that I fell in love with. And then the truth was this other personality um, and so once I realized that I was never getting back to that charming guy, um, you know, it, it didn't, even though I wrote humor about it, it, it wasn't funny anymore. And I knew I had to get out of that. Yeah. It does sound like I've shied away from the term gaslighting partly cause I didn't understand it, but it sounds like in your situation, there's this element completely dismissing all the work you've done to get up on stage psychologically, emotionally, physically, and being like, oh, I'm the reason why you're so good up there. Like, whoa, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how you're a mom, and we don't have to go too much into the personal elements of your child, but has there been a train of thought of holding space where this is going, this is the father of your child, like allowing that child to have a relationship with their father. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I never get in the way of that. Um, I think the, uh, the reason I stayed married probably a decade longer than I should have was because I felt like I was that barrier of protection for him emotionally. My, my ex wasn't really physically abusive, but there was a lot of emotional, um, abuse. And so that's why I stayed, but I waited until I saw the signs that my son was strong enough to be able to handle himself with that when I wasn't around. And so, um, you know, but now my son is 20 years old. He can fully handle a relationship with his dad and they have their own experience. You know, they, they both love skiing. And so they go skiing together and great, you know, like have your relationship, but I don't interfere with that. And, and I didn't, you know, during the whole marriage, I just, I just tried to um, (laughs) sort of undo some of the emotional 
trauma that I could see happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. It was, um, it was, it was hard. It was definitely hard, but my son is fantastic. He's very well adjusted and, and he's on his own path, right? You know, like I can't protect him from everything. He's gonna, my biggest fear would be he would find himself in a relationship someday with his own narcissist. And that's possible, but you know, maybe he meets a girl just like his mom. (laughs) One of the things about comedy is that it takes us all from those places of our life where there's all of this upset or confusion or discord, and it relieves that. It brings us into that commonality of humanity. And so it's, it's lovely to hear you talking about how one of the first layers of teaching you got was about taking your personal experience and transforming it into something humorous that we can all feel lighthearted about. And I want to ask, what is the chiseled about in the who chiseled that piece? Yeah. So that was something that um, my father said to me growing up. Anytime I told my dad something wasn't possible, he always asked me the same question. And that was, well, who chiseled that over the door? Which I, I'm guessing was my dad's version of who carved that in stone. I don't, I don't know, like chisels carving. I have no idea how he came up with that. But he said that to me. I mean, my earliest memory of him saying that to me was um, in sixth grade. And I talk about this in my in my one woman show when they had uh, canceled the school musical. And I was really into theater even back then. And so at that time, Annie was all the rage, like Annie on Broadway. And I just I had a cute little singing voice and I thought for sure I would get the part. And I thought for sure that's what they would choose as our school musical that year. And then they just canceled it. And I was like, Oh hell no. (laughs) You know, like, but, but before I had that thought, like, Oh hell no, we are doing this. I ran crying home to my dad and I was like, they canceled the school musical. (laughs) I'm like bawling. And that's the first time he said to me, they canceled, they told you you couldn't do the musical. Well, who chiseled that over the door? And I I have no idea if I knew what that meant, but I knew what he was telling me at that time was, look, you get to you get to make this say like just because the school and the teachers aren't going to let you do this. That doesn't mean you can't do something on your own. And we did. I somehow in sixth grade produced a musical like we literally I got all my friends together. I convinced the music teacher to teach the songs during her class time. I convinced the art teacher, like they should be painting the sets for the show during his class. I talked to the board of education. I got them to let us use the school auditorium. We had sold out performances. I mean, it was like, I did this as a sixth grader. (laughs) And and then you were Annie. Uh, of course I was Annie. And what are you right? All right. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, you know, that's the one thing about producing. You um, can give yourself the leading role. Absolutely. So there was Absolutely. no audition. You've earned it. Yeah. <laughs> that's not always a good thing. <laughs> well, yeah. But you know what's interesting? That kind of has me thinking that maybe that's a part of why you were in your marriage so long is there's this element of this can change. It's not carved in stone. Oh, absolutely. There's uh, there is definitely a strong part of me that, you know, I, w- I want to lift everybody up. Right. My, at my core, who I am is I want to inspire you to see that more is possible for yourself. And so sometimes that is leading by example. 
Sometimes that's, you know, giving specific strategies to help shift someone's mindset about what's really possible for them. Sometimes it's giving them specific language. So that's why in my work with leaders and sales teams and entrepreneurs, um, the reason I've had a successful coaching, consulting, speaking business all those years is, is that people leave my programs just feeling like more is possible for them. And so, of course, I felt like that in my relate my own personal relationships. I always want to to bring more, and I believe that more is possible for you. So, how can I help? What can I do? Let's let's do this thing. Um, it was a you know, it's an eye opening experience to know like you can't you can't want something more for someone that they don't want themselves, and that was a hard lesson for me to learn. Um, but also I had to, I had to notice that I was, uh, sort of dampening down who I was, the light that I have to shine because I couldn't outshine in that relationship. There was no place or support in which to do that. So I, I didn't, you know, I, I was just enough successful, right. And I didn't really, like grow beyond that until I left that limiting uh, relationship. And then I could see like, wow, <laughs> there was so much more that was possible for me. And um, life's been better ever since. So I hear that you're very good at cheerleading and uplifting others. Are you good at receiving that in your life? Uh, that's... Wow. Oh, Greg, there you go. There you go. You hit the zinger. Um, you know, when, when I'm overwhelmed, when I deal with my own moments of self doubt or, uh, any, anything like that, I tend to retreat. I don't, I don't tend to want people to see me like that just because my public persona is really about uplifting you. So it's kind of like, well, if I can't do that myself, or if I'm in a moment where I don't feel my best version of myself, or I'm not succeeding at something, then I kind of was like, did anybody see that? I, I don't want anybody to see that. Um, but I, I have my core, I have my core, my inner circle, they, they okay. see it, they see me. I think um, any, anybody who's achieved success on some bigger level, um, has not done it alone and whether they have partners or people that collaborate with them in some way, they, they always have somebody who's got their back emotionally and mentally. And um, I'm very fortunate to have those people in my life. Cool. Good to hear. Has humor been one of the more powerful ways that you're able to communicate to the entrepreneurs and executives and people that you work with to deliver the payload of transformation? Absolutely. You know, that's such a great uh, question because for so long, I thought that the way to help others see more possibilities was through more of a training avenue, right? So it was, it was all about content. In my early career, that was the focus. Of course, there was always a natural uh, humorous element of how I delivered a keynote or a training program, because that's just kind of who I am is, you know, like, let's lighten up a little and have a little fun. But my focus was really on content. And what was fascinating, once I did my my one woman show, was that I had more people coming up after me, 
after that experience, having an immediate impact of, wow, I, I knew I was going to a comedy show. I didn't think I was leaving with a new outlook mm-hmm. uh, and and really seeing my life in a whole new lens, which I was like, wow, I did that in an hour theater comedy piece like, huh? And it just it just opened my eyes that when you can share and express and have somebody laughing about, you know, there's very personal things I talk about in my show, deeply personal that I didn't talk about with a single human being for decades. And then when I reveal that in my show, but I wrap these uh, a couple of challenging moments in humor, it makes it easier for everybody to not just laugh at my experience, but to see their own experience through a new light and to kind of take a little of the sting out of it for themselves. And I think that's truly why I'm here and, um, and what the show does for people. Wow. Um, so many things. Um, <laughs> this, the secret there is the vulnerability and the transparency. And you just said a minute ago that there's a strong pull for you to want to keep that hidden from people because of your makeup, because of how you show up. But you've revealed a secret that we all have access to, which is that the power of transparency and vulnerability is the key to the connections that we share. And that can even be done from the stage. So what was it that gave you the courage? When did you figure out that that was the way it was going to work and then give you the sense of, of how to go forward in that way? Uh, it was a, it was a massive amount of trust. So when I did my very first um, stand-up comedy workshop, um, a, a training course, that was in 2014. And I remember my coach saying, okay, You've got it. You're going to do a seven minute set. We had literally, Whoa. I did a six week writing class. And then I had a, this class was two and a half weeks. And at the end of two and a half weeks, you were going to perform an original seven minute stand up piece that's, for 300 people. That's a long set for a beginner. Oh, yeah. It was Dang. terrifying. And it's, it's up on YouTube. I'll, yeah, I'll, I saw a bit of I'll it. give you a link. But um, <laughs> it's funny to see like my very first set and my, and then my one woman show, like all these years later, like, so much better. But, but she made us reveal something personal. And I kind of gave her this laundry list. I'm like, here's the five things that are really personal that I don't talk about with anybody. And she's like, oh, this one's really interesting. Well, it happened to be that um, when I was a teenager, my dad came out as gay. And I, that was, you know, that was the seventies. Okay. Or no, I'm sorry. And that was the early eighties. And that is not the time. It is not like it is now. Like now mm-hmm. it's like, what do you mean? You don't know somebody, you don't have somebody in your family. Who's gay. Like what is there's only like, two people in your family? Like everybody does. <laughs> like it's, it's a badge of honor. It's almost, you know, it's almost weird if you don't know somebody in, in that, you know, community. But at that time it was like, holy shit, does my best friend know? Do the Lewises know? Like, oh my God, like this is so, it was, it was petrifying. It was, it wasn't was AIDS, like, wasn't that the rise? Yes. Of, yeah, the AIDS. Yeah. Yes. It wow. Was, there was really? all this. Exact, yeah. yeah. And, and it wasn't like, you know, AIDS was this, you know, far off. No, issue. it like, was like, you, you kind of imagined 
if you're gay, you're going to get it. Like it was everywhere. It was terrifying. Um, So I was equal parts terrified learning that, right? Because this is my dad. And then I was also, you know, equal parts embarrassed because the world revolves around you when you're a teenager. And, you know, yeah. Were you in high school during this period? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so I had a long talk with my dad because my dad was not out with many of the people in his life either. And I was like, well, if I'm going to say this on stage, like this is your story. And he goes, honey, this is your story. Oh, you know, so whatever weird. you need to do, what, what is anybody going to do now? Like <laughs> at this, right. now it's, you know, the, the 2010s, you know, it's, it's a different world. And he was like, look, this is, this is my life. And you go do what you need to do. Awesome. And it was such a feeling of release. Like imagine holding on to this secret, which probably wasn't a secret for most people, but you know, it was, it was this secret. And once you are vulnerable and you are open about, look, this is my life, you know, like if this doesn't work for you, I'm so glad I know that now, (laughs) like, you know, and and once I could find the humor in it, then there's just, I mean, there's, there's so much humor, uh, in my show. It's like growing up with a gay dad. There's a lot of funny stuff that happened. You know, there's funny stuff to this day. I saw a lot of musicals. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did see a lot of musicals, you know, <laughs> not football games. Just yeah, yeah. my dad and I would watch a football game together on, on TV only because, you know, it was my, you know, school, my Michigan State, my alma mater or whatever. And and so he would watch the games with me just to be a good sport. But he would comment on like the camera angles. My gosh, that's there must be 14 camera angles on this. Oh, game. come on. Come on. You guys were both looking at the butts. <laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> that is funny that you I saw in your stand-up you have some good lines about how your mom and dad have too much in common. And um, <laughs> yeah. you could even bring that element that that's something you and your dad could share now, you know. Yeah. So it you know, I think that the more open you are, the the more fun life can be, right? Yeah. People are everybody's got their thing, you mm-hmm. know? everybody's got that thing. They don't want people to know that thing that, um, you know, just holds them back. Um, that thing they try to hide. And that's just so much energy and, and effort. And, and it's, what it does is it keeps people arm's length away. So if you're just living, you know, open book, living out loud, um, you don't have anything to fear. You don't have anything to hide. And that's just a, it's a lot more fun. So there you were about to go up on stage to reveal this really powerful thing for the first time. And what happened with the audience? What happened that day? They were great. They laughed at all the jokes that they were supposed to laugh at, at the end of the show. There was not a single person that came up to me and was like, Oh my gosh, your dad. No, <laughs> no, that was not a single person that said they were just like, Oh my God, that was so funny. Um, I didn't know you were so funny. Like that's, it was all about that. And, and, and my dad's so amazing. Like 
he's he's my biggest cheerleader. He he goes to every one of my comedy shows, my solo shows. He's he's always there supporting me. And he has people and he invites people in the audience who don't know, you know, anything about him in that way. And Nobody goes up to him afterwards and is like, uh, Robert, yeah, we're, yeah, we can't. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, they're just like, they're fine. It's, it's a whole different world now. So What's is that when you kind of kick the door open to being open? I'm all about being open. You can, if you're watching on uh, video, you can see I have this pillow in the background. It says, are you open to, and that's really, it's some, it's a major theme in my keynote programs because, you know, if you're, if you're sales or leadership and you're trying to sell your ideas to other people before you can really uh, dazzle them with all of your brilliance before any of your features and benefits and all the salesy things you're going to do, which don't, I don't teach features and benefits. Nobody sells that way anymore. But before you, anybody's sees your solutions, they have to first be open to even hearing about a new possibility. They have to be open to the fact that something can be better for them. And so my, my programs and my life is really about first, you know, like the first step to a closed deal is an open mind. So the first step to improving or creating a new possibility is having an open mind that more is possible. And then you can step into what are all the ways that I can get to that. So I think if there was, you know, a word that, I'd like to be associated with it's it's open. My juvenile mind could run crazy with that. <laughs> so we'll leave it alone. <laughs> um, we can go there. What is your what? We can go there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, what is your mom's relationship with you right now? Uh, my mom and I have a fantastic relationship. We had we had a little we had a little bit of a rocky time at one time in my life, um, but we are great friends now. She's also a huge support. She sat front row in the opening of my show uh, back in 2019, and you know it's her story too. And I had to be sensitive to that right. to say right. like, you know, I'm talking about it like my dad is this, but you were married to them to him. And so you had your own relationship around that particular issue. And, um, and she was really great. You know, she was like, look, this is your life. She's been very happily married to the same man after my parents divorced. And so she's been with, um, my, my stepfather Howard for like, I don't know, 30 some odd years and they're going strong and she's super happy. So, you know, the sting is out of it for her as well. She's kind of like, look, we've all moved on and, um, then that's good. But yeah, my mom is, is a, a huge cheerleader for me and she's, uh, working her butt off to get me connections and help me find wow. venues where I can perform my show in Florida where she's at so we can spend some more time together. That's awesome. Have you protected her somewhat from the insights uh, that might be brought forth about her and in your comedy? Is she off limits to you in any way? Um, I don't. That's a, that's an interesting question. I don't. I didn't. I guess I never really looked at it like my mom needed protecting. Um, you know, I don't. I don't joke a lot about my relationship with my mother just because. I just feel like there's such it's such a normal mother daughter relationship that we have that, you know, maybe there there isn't there wasn't really anything to write about there. Like it was just 
my mom's been pretty consistent with that one exception of a couple of years, my young life or when I had just learned about that. And, you know, again, teenager, lots of drama. She was getting remarried. I, you know, I didn't like him at that time. Like there was so much wrapped into that, but I, I haven't really written a lot about that because I don't, um, I don't, it doesn't register to me now as anything that's frustrating or challenging. It just, you know, she and I are really tight now. And so, you know, it's kind of like move on. Um, yeah. I don't know. Without needing any details, have you and your mom had a conversation about the intimacy of her process of healing from the news of your father? Um, you know, we've, we've had a few, we've had many conversations about, you know, what that experience might've been like for her. You know, the thing about it was, um, they were truly in love. Like, it's not like, you know, my dad really loved my mom and, and, and she knew that, uh, they, I think, you know, it's interesting because now I know, I know a lot of people in the lifestyle and like these open relationships and, you know, there's a lot of relationship and sexual, um, freedom, uh, things that happen today that are a lot more normal or mainstream than they were back then. And so I kind of wonder like if the timing was different, could they have been still friends and a dynamic duo together, but also kind of honor some of the little fetishes they have? I don't know. Um, I certainly know people like that, that, you know, it's totally different game, but back then again, just a whole different yeah, I think FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt had that kind of relationship. Oh, see, they? there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which brings up how you feel about monogamy. Like you sort of, at one point in your most recent standup, there's a moment where you ask people who's been married the longest. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this undercurrent of, you know, <laughs> not like a lack of faith so much, but like a poking fun at the kind of... Um, Fairy yeah, you tales. say they're slow learners. <laughs> yeah, um, I my ideas about monogamy have changed drastically over these last seven years. I mean, uh, I was absolutely faithful to my husband during my seventeen year marriage and the two years we were together before that. And while most narcissists um, do tend to uh, stray in relationships, that's probably a characteristic. Uh, I don't believe he did. Um, I, I do trust that he was faithful to me as, as well. That's probably the only thing that really did work in our relationship was our sex life. But, um, you know, it's an interesting question. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm really wired for monogamy the way that I grew up and spent most of my 50 some odd years thinking about relationships. I think that um, you can love many people, uh, not so much in the poly sense. Um, I think that, you know, to have, I mean, I'm just dating now, right? So it's not like I, you know, I can date multiple men and I can enjoy my, um, my relationship with each of them, I can be committed to each of them at the time that we're, we're in a relationship. And then um, it doesn't diminish that feeling. If I go over here and I'm dating somebody else, it, it just means, you know, love the one you're with, I guess. I don't know. Um, 
having said that, nobody's really swept me off my feet um, since my divorce. And so maybe I would feel very differently if I was, you know, truly in love again. And, you know, looking back, I, I kind of wonder if I've ever really, um, really had a, a super healthy relationship. I, I don't know that I have experienced that yet. So something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I could see how uncomfortable the question made you. I really appreciate you going there again. And, and I cut Greg off. Greg, what was it you were going to ask? Well, it's interesting that you have these re- intimate relationships in your life, like your father and your mother, and they you shared they absolutely loved each other. Your mother's now in a 30 plus year marriage with a partner where uh, you've shared. There's a lot of love there. You have a lot of love from your parents. Like what's your, and then you were very in love with your husband. Um, it's still a quandary for me, this element of what is love. I guess that's my question for you today, Merritt, in this moment. What is love? You know, I really thought we were going to talk about mopeds or something. So, like, or outlaws, like breaking the law. Like, we are going for what is love. All right. Well, well first let me preface this by saying I have no fucking idea. Am I allowed to say that on your podcast? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Please. I have no fucking idea. Um, I know... I know that uh, nothing in my life will come close to the love I feel for my son. And, you know, second to that, if if you can, you know, of course it's different, but the love I have for my parents, the love I have for my true friends who've been with me through all the shit and, you know, you know who your real friends are. Um, so that's, that's, I, I don't know. My dad once told me like, you know, you are lo- in love or you're comfortable enough with somebody that when you don't have to feel like you have to fill the, the, the void, that space with, with talking, like you can just be, just be with someone. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think there's an element of that um, where you're not posturing, you're not pretending you're just, you're vulnerable, but it's safe. Um, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd make sacrifices for this person. Um, and they don't feel like sacrifices. They just feel like, of course I would do that. You know? So I think for me, you know, if you go to the love languages or whatever, there's definitely acts of service is something that resonates very much with me. Um, I know you feel something love like when you, do something for me that helps me or, you know, comforts me or whatever that is. So, so for me, that's a big, a big one. Um, and I, beyond that, I think it's a little bit of, I'll know it when I'm there. Like you just, it's just a feeling it's hard to describe, you know, you just, there's, I think that romantic love for me, I've, confused with lust or, you know, excitement or, you know, that sexual energy and tension that you feel with, with a partner. And, um, that sometimes like, I've learned that, um, 
that is not love, <laughs> that that is just not ju- I don't want to say just because I don't want to minimize mm-hmm. it. I think mm-hmm. that can be that can be fantastic. And it also like just be ha- because you have a connection with somebody doesn't mean you want a love relationship with them. And that's that is new in my relationship thinking mm-hmm. to kind of piggyback on that question earlier. Um, so I think my, my ideas about love have, have really changed a lot over the years. And, um, it's surprising to me cause I kind of, you know, they were pretty ingrained for a lot of, a lot of people, but it's part of being open, being, keeping an open mind. And, you know, I'm not the same person today that I was when I was 28 and met my husband. Right. Like, right. Right. <laughs> thank just, goodness. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> although, you know, she, was, she had a few less wrinkles then. <laughs> well, yes, there's that, isn't there, with growing old. Um, have you ever taken hallucinogenics? No. Um, do you have a spiritual element of your belief and core of who you are? Yeah. I mean, you know, I had a Jewish upbringing, got bat mitzvah, did all the things. Both parents were Jewish? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I uh thank you. <laughs> I um I I do consider myself spiritual. I think there is something out there and you know, I I do feel some connection to a, a force beyond beyond this. I'm not so sure that organized religion is the place where I get that. And and I think mostly if I, if, if I really think I like a lot of the principles and the, the teachings and some of the traditions in Judaism, I just, um, I found the language barrier just to be the hardest part. I think, you know, growing up in a conservative Jewish, um, you know, household as opposed to Orthodox, which would have been way out of my league or, you know, more reform or, or some, you know, which, you know, just the services being in Hebrew, like I had no idea what was going on. And, you know, I, I think now I, I, I listen to some of the stories and I, I like some of the teachings, but, um, I think that's probably the biggest challenge was, I just didn't know. (laughs) That's so funny. That reminds me of when I was growing up, my father was Jewish and I can remember when we did the Kaddish, like, Oh yeah, the kadosh kadosh. And now you can yeah. do that like knee and bend. And yeah. I remember hitting the points, not knowing what it meant, but you exactly. hit those points. Yeah. yeah. There's something of a gift that is evident just in the landscape of the expression of comedy that flows through the Judaic tradition. And I think it's not hard for people to realize that it's not hard to see that that's out there and that's part of it. And I don't quite know how to put my finger on it or where it comes from or why, but I have a theory. (laughs) My theory (laughs) is that if I were the great being of that created it all, that I would, and I have to watch it through all of eternity, you know, (laughs) keep tabs on everybody. I would want it to play out much like a sitcom just so that I would be more inclined to stay connected and stay and stay in it. There's, and there's some magic in recognizing the, 
beauty of all of the trials that we face, that how each of these moments that we face, whether it's a narcissistic husband or a significant transformation in our parental um, arrangement, that within them is some kind of humorous look at humanity, some kind of thing that's like, well, wow, we're kind of funny, aren't we? Yeah, I've, I think, I mean, humor is literally everywhere. Right. Uh, there's maybe a couple of scenarios that I could think, you know, it would be very hard for me to find the, the humor in them. Um, right. Apart from the big, you know, some big tragic things that they say that tragedy plus time equals comedy. Mm. And I've always thought, okay, but nobody said it had to take a long time. (laughs) Right? You know, like, what if you could just get to the comedy part a little faster? You know, that just takes a little bit of the sting out of the tragedy. And, you know, I, I think like you, you know, the some greater force than us is kind of looking at like, like the, everything that they've created as this, you know, sitcom, but they're also, you know, there's also a war movie going on. There's a drama going on. There's a, tra- you know, like, right, right, right. like let's balance that out. Right. There is a, there's something to that tragedy comedy mask. Um, yeah. Did you and, ever read um, man's search for meaning by Victor? Oh yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So I thought that was a very powerful lesson in, severe tragedy but the attitude of an individual can transform the experience in these severe horrors absolutely it's how you choose to to see it you know are you uh, and and i think this is probably one of the be- the biggest lessons that i learned from writing my own life story as a comedy show was i i literally l- rewrote my past and it rewired my future hundred percent because if I went with the past narratives that I have told myself for most of my life, I was limited to a particular future. But when I took control of that narrative and I could, you know, not, I was, I was no longer willing to play the victim card or like, Oh, I, you know, was was married to a narcissist and oh woe is me and all the things that you know blah 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 I could I could have been a victim about that but taking a a different lens toward that it was you know what was funny about that what did I learn from that you know how can I give to you know how can I help other people around that it just it just created new possibilities in my future and actually um many people had come up to me after uh, the performances I've done of the show and the, the previous uh, name title of the show was called book of merit, which, you know, I thought was a clever plan on, you know, play on book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. But at that time, the show was, was truly about me. I wrote it as it was like a celebration for my 50th birthday. And, and most of the people in the audience knew me. Right. So it was okay that, it was my life story that mattered. It, that was the, that was what the show was about. Then when I realized that wasn't going to be a one-time thing and it was too good to not do again and, and people wanted to see it, I realized it needed a different title because the piece is so much more than my life story. It's 
everybody's life story. I'm just telling you about some of the ups and downs in my life, but I'm giving you that, that opportunity to map that onto your life so that you can look at your life story and, and find the, 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 the times in your life when you felt strong, you know, the times that you overcome came something difficult, but also the things that made you laugh. And so it's relatable, not just if you had some of the specific examples of things, but you'll relate, like you'll say, oh, you'll recognize like, oh, my twenties, my thirties, you know? And so you'll see yourself in my story. And I thought that was a, and that's why it needed a, a name bigger than, you know, it's really not about me. It's, it's about your experience. Um, so. I love the mixed metaphor that your dad came up with who chiseled that over the door. It's like, it's, it's so unique. And so, so much him, it makes me want to know him more. Like I would just want to sit down with your dad and just <laughs> and have a conversation. Well, you should yeah. come to my show. He'll be there. <laughs> oh, Go we get our notepads to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right. This is going to feel like a little bit abrupt. So hang on to your hat, fasten your moped seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> and take a swig what? of coffee. Go ahead. <laughs> What's funny about menopause? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, for me, menopause was immediate. So um, I actually had a hysterectomy when I was 40, which is not the normal time when a woman would go through that change. Um, and it was quite literally like at eight o'clock, I was not in menopause. And by 10 o'clock after my surgery was done, menopause began. And I, sadly, I hate to say this out loud, but I was one of those women before who was like, hot flashes, please ladies, mind over matter, like control that shit. Come on. It can't be that bad. And then about two weeks after my surgery, when all the hormones that your body had already produced, like had flushed out of my system and I had my first hot flush, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> what is happening? Like, you just you're just sitting there, just sitting there watching TV. And all of a sudden you're just dripping in sweat. It was like, how do people live like this? This is insanity. <laughs> so I went to, you know, I tried all the different hormone things. And um, I will tell you true story uh my i went to see this hormone doctor and i was just like fit to be tied and i was i was i really knew i needed to get to a divorce and and so i sat down and they're doing this intake you know as a new new patient intake form and 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 because it was a hormone doctor she was asking about my sleep my moods all this and so i was saying like i'm just i'm frustrated all the time i'm pissed off i'm angry i'm this i'm that and, and I'm getting a divorce. And she said, well, maybe you should hold off on the divorce. Maybe these hormones will make you feel better. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, I don't know what you think you have in that cream, but I am pretty sure rubbing it on my thighs is not going to make my husband less of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, so I got the hormones, but it turns out I needed more than HRT hormone replacement therapy. I needed HRT husband replacement therapy. That's right. So I did that. And, uh, and you know, that plus a good cocktail of hormones and I am no longer sweating or yelling at people without due cause. (laughs) 
it sounds like you were really in a pressure cooker in your forties with this imploding marriage, your hysterectomy, you're a mom, you're wondering what you're going to do with your life, like a perfect storm. And it sounds like it's kind of that stereotypical, you know, caterpillar and butterfly, like you hardened, crystallized, and now you've manifested as a butterfly. (laughs) I love that. Yes, I believe that has absolutely been the case. Um, You know, everybody has a difficult period of their life, right? There's, and, and I think, you know, for women a lot, you, you know, a lot of my friends at this age, you know, sort of mid forties to mid fifties are, are, there's a lot of divorces that happen when women get to the, that stage. And it's really, it's, it's not that they, you know, probably didn't love their husbands or, you know, that the, it, I think it's just like, you kind of look around and you're like, Okay, I my the last 20 years have probably been about other people, right? Raising kids, doing things. And now all of a sudden I get to do something for me like what do I want? And you just wake up and you're just like, "Wait, is this what I want?" And I I think that's, you know, we're living a long time. My one of my good friends, uh, Andrea Vall, very funny, talented comedian. I perform a lot on, she has a, a brand of a show. It's called Moms Unhinged. And I love performing on her shows because it's all mom comedians and a lot of moms in the audience. And, and her joke to give her credit is, you know, we're living a long time, you know, in the old days, um, you know, right around the time you, uh, you're, you would get irritated with your spouse. They would die. <laughs> you know, like best we could do now is nudge it along a little. You yeah. know, and, and I, I love that joke that she does because it's really, it's really true. You know, like we are Make living. Make Scott and Pruler with, yeah. with you. Yeah. Wasn't it in your stand-up where you said these murder things that you were reading? They started becoming self-help books. Yes, like, yes. Yeah. Uh, early in my marriage, I used to watch those shows on TV where one spouse murders the other. And somewhere around year seven, I consider that educational television. (laughs) You know, talking about how you chose, like you saw, you could be a victim if you wanted to be. That was a choice. And you chose differently. And I just was flashing yesterday. My health care's like through community, you know, poor people health care. And I was at the clinic yesterday and there was a woman with a guy in a wheelchair. They're probably in their 60s. And she was just a train wreck. He was there for care, but she was yelling and everyone, you know, everyone's a fucking bitch and everyone's this and that. And I was just like, oh my God, you're a train wreck. And she's like, why can't I go in with him? And I thought to myself, because you're a train wreck. Anyway, here's what was interesting is I had this moment of like, oh, you're a good person and I know you care. And why are you like this? Like what happened? And I walked out of the door and she was sitting in the waiting room. She looked up at me and smiled. And I was like, oh, and then I walked out. And my thought is like, we do have these hard things. Everyone has these hard times. And if we choose the victim road, we reap that harvest down the road. And yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I, I think, um, you know, everybody gets dealt uh, a few cards in the deck that they wouldn't have necessarily 
freely chosen. <laughs> the donkey kick to the head. <laughs> you know, and, and for some people, it happens early in life, yeah. right? They were maybe born into some situation. And so they have a little bit more to overcome because they had that thing early in life. And some people have a nice, easy, cushy upbringing, but then they get kicked in the head a little later. But right. I think if we could all just recognize that everybody's got their thing, you don't know what somebody's dealt with the moment before you had an interaction with them. And you don't know what's about to happen to them as soon as they walk out that door either. And so just a little compassion goes a long way. Um, my grandmother used to say, my, my dad's mom, if everybody could put their problems on a problem tree and you can pick any problem that you want off the tree, you'd probably pick your own problem because you're the one who has, who's equipped to deal with it. Yeah, and, um, outlook. you know, I love that. Yeah. When's that comedy show coming out? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well that's I'm already, I'm already writing the next show, but that's uh, what I was wondering. Are you working on another show now? I have an idea for the next show. It, it'll, coincide. So my vision for Who Chiseled That is that I am uh, traveling, touring with the show, different theaters, um, booking me to to perform at their theater and, um, and, you know, just sharing this show. And while I am traveling and performing, um, I have this idea cooking. I don't know if I want to, well, all right, I'll give you the, the, the kernel. Ooh, getting an exclusive ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> right here on Open Outlaws. <laughs> so, and it kind of ties into some of the things that we were talking about earlier with relationships, but I have this idea for like 90 day romance. And so it would be like, you know, imagine just, you know, I, I roll into a city and I'm going to do my show for a quarter. And so I kind of, you say, okay, you know, who's going to be my 90 day boyfriend and we're going to go all in, but just know that on day 89, we're going to go to dinner. We're going to toast to how much fun this was. And then I'm leaving. <laughs> so, you know, and so I just kind of had this imagined, like I've imagined these a year long experience of 90 day, 90 romance. day romances. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So are you coming to the West coast on this tour? Uh, I don't have a current plan for the West Coast as of yet, but I am certainly open to that. Um, right now, I know I've got uh, Chicago October 5th through the 8th. I've got a performance in New York on November 18th at the Manor mm -hmm. Club of Pelham in uh, Pelham, New York, which is pretty close to where I grew up. So that's kind of fun for me. Um, I'm looking at a date. It'll either be in January or February uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's going to be an interesting one because that is I'm, I'm teaming up with a woman who's a confidence coach and we're doing a half day event for women called Confidence and Comedy, which is going to be really great. We're going to start out with literally my show. And then uh, she's going to interview me about some of the moments in my life when I needed that confidence. And we're going to do an interactive uh, program with people. And then she's going to give some folks um, some real confidence coaching. She's got some amazing strategies. Um, and uh, her name is Charlesy. And uh, she, yeah, she's amazing. And so I'm excited about that collaboration. And then also in the first quarter, I'll be... Um, mostly south, Southwest Florida. So I'm looking at Fort Myers and Naples um, for first quarter 2024. From your personal experience, what differentiates strong confidence and narcissism? Uh, the, the difference is empathy. You cannot be empathetic and a narcissist at the same time. 
that's that is the clear distinction because there's a lot of confident people and there's a lot of selfish people but you can be confident and you can be selfish and still be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes but you cannot be a narcissist and empathetic together it's brilliant so there's a theater here in our area called the throckmorton theater yeah that hosts a lot of comedy and I would love it if you explored that. And if you come to the Throckmorton Theater, I'm volunteering Greg to be your 90-day boyfriend right now. <laughs> uh, it's mighty but mighty. I will say this. He's a monogamist. So oh, you well. break your 90-day cycle. If you, if you I like the explanation. I'm taking applications. You, you'll, 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 you, can, uh, you can apply for the role. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. Oh, you have a casting couch? <laughs> I, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> That might- I will apply. Um, <laughs> it's hilarious. You know, just we have some similar elements in our marriage. I have an ex in my life, and uh, smashed my heart to the ground. Hmm, I'm sorry. It wasn't your fault. Don't worry. Um, but you know what's beautiful is this path of forgiveness because she is the mother of my ch- children. Mm. And, you know, part of my challenge is to see them loving each other and to be supportive of that, which also kind of means in a way being supportive of her new relationship. And yep. even yep. when I think, fuck you, what are you pointing out, Mark? <laughs> I'm pointing at a man who I deeply admire and respect, who I know deserves to have a woman of the yeah. more caliber in his life. And um, so far... Merritt, I want to say that you are of the utmost caliber. I love your outlook on life. And I have one more really tough question for you. This is an important question. If you, uh, you know. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. Foo Fighters or Eminem? Oh. See, told you it was tough. Depends on the mood. Um, but in in the spirit of my my son who would say there's only one answer to that question, it would be Eminem. And actually I use a, a an Eminem clip a soundbite or a, like a clip from their uh-huh. one of their songs in my show. So I'm gonna give it to Eminem. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> Whew, that was an easy one. <laughs> you had me sweating. <laughs> well is there anything you would like to share um before we sign off that has not been brought up? Um, well, I do feel that I should mention that I did ride a moped in college. It was a Honda Spree, and um, I, I'm quite proud of, the, of that fact. And uh, I can't think of a time when I've broken the law, but I feel like just being a moped outlaws kind of like puts me in a cool kids category. So thank you for <laughs> upping my cool factor. <laughs> and just as a reminder on October 5th uh, through the 8th, you will be at the den theater in Chicago and there'll be a link in our YouTube and some of our other socials for people to get tickets. Do not miss this show. Clearly who chiseled that is going to be off the hook. I'm so excited. You were here. I'm so grateful. You played so well. What a courageous, amazing human being you are. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, guys. I enjoyed it very much. Appreciate it. Recording stopped.